Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. So let's get started. Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, they split up their funny or die relationship. And I was kind of wondering because I noticed like all the Adam McKay joints that have come out since they split up haven't involved Will Ferrell at all. And I didn't know if it was because Adam McKay was doing more intellectual stuff or what. But like I noticed on Succession, Will Ferrell's name is attached to it, but I've never heard him having anything to do with it. And so eventually I kind of figured out that I think he was just attached to it when they were developing it for Funny or Die. It dissolved and then you know, you retain his name because he was at the beginning. But I was always kind of wondering what was going on between them. So Adam McKay was actually talking about it. And he said that they split because he was casting for a Showtime series that's coming up on HBO about the Lakers in the 80s. And he cast Farrell as the owner Jerry Buss. Others in the production thought it was a bad idea. So he replaced him with John C. Riley before he got a chance to tell Farrell Riley did. And McKay said like a decent human being, John C. Riley told them. Uh, Farrell called him up to tell him they were dissolving funny or die and he was frosty in his response to it. Adam McKay reached out to apologize in emails, but he hasn't gotten any response and it seems like he blames himself completely for it. He just said, I should have kept my side of the street clean. So that's kind of a bummer. They were like a great comedic team. Even if most people don't know Adam McKay for that, he was the writer on Saturday Night Live who wrote some of Farrell's funniest stuff. And aside from the comedies he directed, like Ankh man he also would go out as a script doctor on most of will ferrell's movies and he would like work on lines that they had will ferrell to make them funnier for will ferrell particularly i heard adam mckay talking about it one time and he was like anything with like mythology is hilarious coming out of will ferrell's mouth <laughs> so like you know an anchor man they have the part where he's like odin's, By beard. odin's beard yeah stuff like that like that's stuff that adam mckay knows will ferrell kind of delivers and makes stronger that's a real bummer what do you think about this whole thing? Yeah, I'm pretty pretty sad to hear it. I'm not shocked because I it seemed like they've been separated for quite a bit, and I actually saw I saw the article you're talking about, but I didn't get a chance to read it. Yeah, it's a bummer. And Funny or Die was responsible for a lot of funny content on the internet as well. Like it had a good, I would say, like maybe four year run where it was just sort of like king of the comedy websites at a time where comedy websites actually, you know, were doing well. And yeah. Now they're not, clearly, but <laughs> they had, like, moved on to producing a lot of things. And at first, their productions were not great, but they got better at it as time went on. And I think Succession is, like, to me, that feels like the top of the heap in a way i mean it's like the signature show of hbo right now and it's so fucking good and it is funny but it's also like dramatic and i just feel like will ferrell could have had a second life if he had sort of hung on to it but i look at it now i'm trying to think of the last thing i even saw will ferrell in it might be hankerman too 
Ooh, I hope not. <laughs> I don't think they broke up before Anchorman 2, though. It was definitely after. Yeah, I haven't seen Will Ferrell in a thing for a while. I remember he did that movie with John C. Riley where they were doing the Sherlock Holmes. Ooh. Yeah. I actually didn't see that. But... No, nobody did. <laughs> <laughs> you could just tell from the advertising it wasn't going to be good, you know? But yeah, I'm kind of coming up donuts on that front. Yeah. So what are you between finding two, Between Two Ferns, the movie was the last. Oh, right, right, right. He's the producer. That's right. Because he's playing himself and like he's playing an arrogant version of himself, like producing it and making demands of Zach Galifianakis, right? Yeah. And then they did one of the live in front of a studio audience things. Oh, okay. So yeah, he hasn't done much of anything, it seems like. And then Lego Movie Part 2. So that was all two years ago. That was all 2019. Was he in Lego movie too i don't even remember the dad being in that one i think it was just real short like okay like under two minutes probably tops so just so they could put his name on the poster or whatever yeah because it would i mean that movie pretty much centered around like the kid and his sister well adam mckay still got stuff going strong so it's like yeah i don't know well Farrell might want to consider calling him up <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want Will Ferrell to be mad at me, too. <laughs> but I do kind of get it. It's like it can be dicey. Like, I know this personally, just like working with friends. When you get an idea, sometimes like you don't want to piss off your friends and then sometimes they don't like it. It's it's dicey doing that stuff, you know? Yeah. So you had some news on Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones just turned 40 like two months ago. And I was doing some math in my head. Like, I remember watching that when I was probably five or six, pretty young. So I, I honestly don't know when I first saw it. Like, I I was so young. I can't remember. Yeah. So, I did some backwards math. So, if you were to watch, like, show a kid that was my age, Indiana Jones now, like, how far back that movie is compared to now. And then did, like, what would be the equivalent if you showed that showed a movie yeah, it would to be, young it, Brandon. It would be exactly what they're trying to go for, which is serials, right? Like you're talking about the 40s. Yeah, so it's 1941. So the movies you would have to pull to get to 1941. Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon. Yeah, you know how I know that? Did that for a cosmic void. <laughs> and I always have to write <laughs> the date and I see it multiple times. So it helps me remember the years movies come out when we do. Uh, Citizen Kane. That's a good one. That's a banger. Uh, High Sierra. High Sierra. I don't think I've seen that one. It's it's a classic, but it's a little deeper dive. Dumbo. Okay, seen that one. Uh, these are the like the top ten films in 1941. Wow, I didn't realize Tim Burton made that movie so long ago. <laughs> Tim Burton is old as fuck. <laughs> uh, they died with their boots on. That uncertain feeling. Andy Hardy's private secretary. The Wolfman. Okay. All right. I've seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> We're back into stuff. I've seen more 40s movies than I realized. Sullivan's Travels. Sullivan's? Sullivan's. It's not Gulliver. Not- Is it like a legal version of Gulliver's Travels? I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> and the number 10 movie was Suspicion. Oh, I've seen the poster for that, but I don't, I don't know what it is. The only other one that I saw on the list that s- stuck out to me was uh, 
Shadow of the Thin Man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Myrna Loy. Yeah. I know that because I used to do a podcast called The Thin Men, which was a nod to Myrna Loy's series because we're doing it for the Myrna Loy Center, which she started up here in Helena. Pretty cool little theater. We did, yeah, I think we were just talking about it a couple episodes ago. Yeah. And I just wanted to bring that movie up just because I wanted to give it a little shout out to the Myrna Loy. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, where we live in Helena, we live in this neighborhood that is historic. And the parts that I love the best about it is that Gary Cooper grew up in our neighborhood, who is in High Noon, and Myrna Loy grew up in our neighborhood. And apparently L. Ron Hubbard lived here for a year. I found that out at Scientology doc that HBO did because they mentioned he lived in Montana for one year. So I was like, okay. So that's why we don't know a ton about it. But I also don't think Helen is super fast to claim him either. No. It was one of those things, like, I heard it in high school and hung on to it for a long time. And then right when I thought, like, oh, that's probably bullshit, I was working at the B&B Market, and the Historical Society came in with a pamphlet that was, like, all about the Rodney Street neighborhood and kind of, like, had a bunch of them. And I went reading through it, and I was like, oh, they got a thing on L. Ron Hubbard here. Okay, he did live here. <laughs> yeah, see, they had like, I remember in high school at Helen High, they had a little placard that was like notable people that went to Helen High and was like uh, Senator Max Bacchus. And I Which know- almost, I, I have to say like, yes, around Montana, notable outside of Montana, nobody knows who the fuck Max Bacchus is. You know what I mean? Not now. I mean, like 20 years ago, he was well, a lot more well known because he was the finance chair. Yeah, but, but he wasn't. I, I he wasn't think... one of those guys like a Newt Gingrich that like makes the front page. Right. He wasn't like famous. Let me put it that way. Like he was in that he was a senator, but and like, he was a powerful. Yes, and he was, and he was for a while there. He was the second most tenured senator behind Strom Thurmond, who called the microphone the machine. <laughs> uh, my point I'm getting to is like for the average American, Bacchus was like one of a hundred senators you know what i mean yeah that's what i mean it's not like uh like i'm trying to think of an example of a famous senator right now like barney frank right like barney frank is is famous like people know him outside of new york right yeah i mean i would go with like mitch mcconnell yeah sure but also because he held that position whoever whoever holds senate majority or minority leader is just gonna be known yeah but sure that's that's a good example i was just trying to like toss off my head somebody who did not hold one of those positions i guess which i did not state ahead of time (laughs) so that plaque is like i feel like they probably nailed three names at least but was there any other ones that maybe were more famous than just like the montana area that you can remember not off the top of my head all right i mean Fair. We're talking about a placard I saw briefly 25 years ago. So <laughs> if we're being honest, people in Montana are quick to claim people who are from Montana who are famous because there's not very many of us in history. Like if you break it down by states, even per capita, we have to be towards the bottom, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think of like A-listers we've ever had. And it was probably like Gary Cooper and Myrna Loy and that's it. <laughs> That was a long-ass time ago, dude. Jenna Jameson, I guess. Jenna Jameson's from, from Montana. Kalispell. Really? I did not know that. I knew that uh, Tara Patrick was from Great Falls. Yeah. So I guess we got some porn stars. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you pick out of Jenna Jameson and Tara Patrick? Probably Jenna. Oh, I'd go Tara Patrick. I did read Jenna Jameson's autobiography when I was younger and yeah. it, it first came out. Horrific, by the way. Yeah. Like horrific. She really Pretty like. Awful. Well, she didn't shy away from all the things that were really happening on sets at that time. 
And so, yeah, it was pretty awful. <laughs> like she was very honest about it and naming names of people who were rough and who slighted her for money and people who pushed drugs on them to like get through scenes or whatever. Like, yeah, it was it was pretty shitty what they were doing to porn stars in like the 80s and 90s. Okay, well, let's move on from our <laughs> porn tip. Universal has hired Chris McKay, who did the Lego movie part two. Yep. Uh, to direct a Renfield movie. So Nicholas Holt will be the titular character. Renfield, of course, is the familiar of Dracula, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And then Nicholas Cage will star as Dracula. <laughs> uh, it was written from an outline that Robert Kirkman made and will take place in modern day, should this be made. So I want to go through the history of this really quick. So Universal made probably the first cinematic universe, I'm going to say. Like, they had Dracula, they had Frankenstein, they had Bride of Frankenstein, they had Wolfman, they had Invisible Man. Man, Creature from the Black Lagoon. They had all of these characters. And then they all had these standalone movies. And then they started crossing them over into their movies. We actually give very detailed notes on the Frankenstein crossovers on a cosmic void when we do the Bride of Frankenstein episode, which came up last October. The first one was Frankenstein and then Bride of Frankenstein. And I think it was like Curse of Frankenstein and then like Son of Frankenstein and then House of Frankenstein, which was like Dracula, Wolfman and Frankenstein together and then House of Dracula which was once again like Dracula's in the lead but now Frankenstein and Wolfman were the secondary characters and then as the universe was getting fucked out they had Abbott and Costello meet the what was it? Meet the Invisible Man or, or meet? Uh, I thought I was. Meet Frankenstein. Tell, I don't know. They I did a it was couple. Wolfman. Yeah. One sticks out. They did head. a couple, but the, there was like the ones they did had a bunch of people in all of them. It went for, I don't know, like 40, 50 movies, something like that. Like it went for a long time, like way longer than anybody knows because those Universal m- movies at a certain point get pretty fucking crazy and cheap and like bad. Yeah. You know, like there's classics at the start and then you start to get diminishing returns. I would argue after having rewatched Bride of Frankenstein, I actually think it's probably a better movie than Frankenstein, but that might be the lone exception for the sequels in these. <laughs> have you, how deep have you gotten into Universal Monsters in your life? Not very deep. Really? Like, no. never more than just, like, the title character? Or... Yeah, I mean, I I know I've seen Frankenstein, uh, Dracula... Not, yeah, that's about it. Not like Daughter of Dracula. No. House of Dracula. No, I've never seen Creature from the Black Lagoon. I've been to where they filmed it. Oh, uh, Universal Studios? Yeah. Yeah. I went somewhat deep when I was a kid, but I can't remember a lot of them. There's some that I see the title and I know right away I saw them. Like, I think I've seen all the establishing movies for all the Universal monsters. And then for sequels, I know Bride of Frankenstein. I guess there was like Frankenstein versus the Wolfman was one I forgot to mention because that's one where it's like Frankenstein gets on thought from whatever he was doing in the previous movie and Larry Talbot's trying to find a way to die and he thinks that somehow Frankenstein's notes can help him die because that's his whole thing is he's trying to get rid of this lycanthropy curse and he's okay with dying if it if it like releases him from this curse right I'm trying to think of what else I've seen I, I think I've seen like three Invisible Man movies yeah I've seen a few anyway so they had this whole cinematic universe and then we don't really get a cinematic universe that works again until Marvel. 
Like, I'm trying to think of one that works, but it's always just sequels, you know? Like, maybe the closest is The Mummy, but once again... Oh, that's That's another Universal monster, too, Mummy. So that's, like, really a reboot of a thing, and they're really trying to launch it again by, like, doing The Scorpion King. But, like, The Scorpion King does just well enough where they get, like, a shitload of straight-to-video releases, so I don't think they really pulled off the cinematic universe, per se. No. They tried. But I'm thinking, like, if you get, like, two cycles, maybe... You could claim that. But, like, until Marvel, I don't think anybody really successfully did that. So universe- unless, you, unless you count the uh, – what's that South American – fictional South American universe? Oh. <laughs> Venverda or whatever. Valverde. Valverde. That's Valverdeverse. it. Yeah. The one in C- Commando and it's got ties to uh, – Alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it had ties to Predator, which ties it to Alien when you go AVP. But they never intentionally put that together. It was just <laughs> no. a fictional country that they invented in the 80s to say Colombia without saying Colombia, right? Because it was yeah. always like a cocaine thing. And so they just tied it in with all the movies with that company, which like when you count the sequels and then like the mashups – everything it winds up spanning like 30 to 40 movies which is pretty crazy not all of them have Valverde in it but you know Valverde is like a part of the source material I guess so so it exists in the world Um, now Disney owns the rights to to some of the Valverde things. If yeah, because all that it. was a lot of that was under Fox. I think so. Yeah, 20th Century Fox because they got Predator now. Does that mean they got Commando? I think so. Crazy. What would you think if you fired up Disney Plus one night and you were just like, "Yeah, I think I watched Commando tonight." <laughs> I would watch it. It's wholesome. It's got Alyssa Milano in it. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind an axe is going through that chest in front of her. Like, whatever, dude. It's Alyssa Milano from Who's the Boss? Uh, Anyway, so Universal keeps trying to reboot their monster universe. They they had the mummy, like I said. That didn't really take off the way they wanted to, but still a lot of mummy movies, right? Like three mummy movies. You had, I think, one theatrical release for a Scorpion King movie and then like a show shitload of straight to video sequels so then they're looking what marvel's doing and they're like hey that was my great great grandfather's franchise that was doing that let's do this again let's take another crack at it right so they make dracula untold which i went to with my wife because there was nothing better playing that night we're just like eh i guess we'll go see a pg-13 movie about dracula wasn't particularly good wasn't terrible but wasn't very good they didn't tell anybody that was the start of a new universe but they were trying to like boot that dark universe with that and it didn't do the numbers they wanted so they quietly like erased that and were like never mind and then they put out this big announcement that they're starting the dark universe right so they're like we're gonna do I think the first one they came up with was like Johnny Depp Invisible Man and they were gonna have uh, Tom Cruise Mummy which did wind up happening they were gonna do a Bride of Frankenstein they had all of this stuff in the works they had a creature from the Black Lagoon so they're totally ready to reboot the universe and then the mummy bombs <laughs> because apparently it was terrible I haven't watched it but uh, and we made fun of that a lot in podcasts because you could just tell this dark universe thing wasn't going to pan out the way that they wanted it to pan out like it's ridiculous it's who takes all these old ass characters and then expects to remix them in a cinematic universe and make it work right like Didn't we learn from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Yeah. No. No, we didn't. (laughs) 
I know what you were saying yeah to, but they put out the mummy. It fucking bombs. They're like, God damn it. People are fired. Scripts are scrapped. Nothing's working out. They're trying to make some money off of some development, right? So they're like, Jason Bloom, here, you can have the Invisible Man. Like, go for it. And then the Invisible Man is a fucking hit. Why? Because <laughs> it's like a $5 million movie and the studio doesn't interfere and they don't connect it to anything. And it comes out in the middle of a pandemic. No. Comes out right before the pandemic, which means it was the last movie to like be a hit before the pandemic hit. You're right. Yeah. I remember what I watched it on video during the pandemic. That's why I associate uh, the two. I hate to pull the Carl card, but uh, Comedy Bang Bang has this character called Dalton Wilcox. And it's not important all the crazy things this dude does, but he's a cowboy who does hunt monsters. And the monsters are basically people that he has a disagreement with. Like somebody will tell him he's had enough to drink at a bar and he'll think that he's like, are you a goddamn Frankenstein? And then he'll like stab him because he thinks they're a Frankenstein or shoot him. Like he'll basically kill innocent people because he thinks that they're a monster. One would argue subconsciously he's just upset at these people. So he decides they're a monster. Right. Because right. <laughs> they've slighted him in the the very slightest yeah it's a it's voiced by andy dalton who does the guy who like overthrows the entire miniature community in uh uh what's that hulu show that's made by the guy from rick and morty um solar opposites oh yeah anyway so they he got spun off on his own podcast and this is just a long way of saying he was talking about how he went to this theater like during the pandemic and he's like it was filled with invisible men everywhere so i staked all those seats and now i'm not allowed to go back to the movies (laughs) (laughs) well so we got renfield i don't care that they're not saying it in the press release we know what this means dark universe is back baby You know my biggest takeaway from this whole thing? What? Nick Cage is a vampire. Yeah. That has me sold. The last Nick Cage vampire movie I saw, amazing. Vampire's Kiss? Yes. (laughs) How hard is it to alphabetize? It's not that hard. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yes, we all know the alphabet. (laughs) (laughs) They are, like, rebooting the Dark Universe again, and this time they're pinning their hopes on Nick Cage. Dude, they are As a getting, vampire. They are getting worse at this, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least Tom Cruise is a bankable movie star. Like, I love Nick Cage. He's not a bankable movie no. star anymore. And, like... Who the fuck is Nicholas Holt? I don't even know. Like, uh, he, I, I looked at what he was known for. I'm just like, I, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, Warm Bodies, he was the lead in that. He was also... Uh, okay, kind of forgettable though, right? Like, Yeah, he's just kind of got a baby face. Like, uh, He was uh, the newer X-Men. He played Beast. Okay, so under a lot of makeup? Uh, half the time. <laughs> Fair. When he's not so on, he had not big in glasses, his glasses, right? Yeah. Yeah. Eh, he was my second favorite beast, which means he was the worst beast. I mean, you got him and Kelsey Grammer. That's my point, dude. <laughs> Give me them toss salads and scrambled eggs any day, dude. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather have the Kelsey Grammer beast. They're getting worse at this. I love <laughs> it, dude. This is going to be so much content for the future. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the future, we both watched the South Park post-COVID special. How did you see this, just out of curiosity? Uh, I watched it on my television. <laughs> so you pirated it? No. <laughs> I did not pirate it. Because this hasn't hit Comedy Central, right? No, I think it's this... just on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, this is a Paramount Plus exclusive. 
I happen to have this because I'm watching Star Trek at the moment because I'm a fucking nerd. So I was like, oh, shit. When your brother was talking about the post-COVID special, I was like, I can actually watch that. I got Paramount Plus. So uh, it's not on HBO Max. I, I looked to see if nope. it was because I was worried they were going to have commercials because I don't pay for commercial free. But they do it without commercials, even if you pay for the having the privilege of being annoyed by commercials because you don't want to pay the extra couple of bucks. They still cut them out, which I appreciated. Um, so it's an hour long thing, clearly to be continued, right? Yeah, definitely. But it runs with the idea that COVID is over. It's what? It's almost over. Right. It's 30 years. 40 years years later. I thought it was 30 years later. No, it was 40 years later. I thought they were doing the It Chapter 2 thing where it was like 30. No, it's 40. Yeah. I disagree with you. Because they've talked about it like three times. Regardless, they have a lot of dumb jokes I appreciated. Like every time the doorbell rings, it's like, the doorbell sings because it's the future. (laughs) And Kyle's just like, I know. And like they'll have- The waiter in the restaurant. Yeah, the waiter will be, well, as you know, because it's the future, like they'll say that all the time. (laughs) They just hit you over the head with the fact that it's the future. Also, great stinger at the beginning. They have this spinny line. Lights like a CBS special for like the holidays, and it's like it's a regular ass movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a TV movie. It's, oh yeah, that's it's not a regular movie. It's a TV, TV movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So basically, the idea is they're all coming back to South Park thirty years later <laughs> because Kenny died right away. Like, just loved the callback to the old Kenny's dead joke, and apparently he was an inventor and philanthropist, but he somehow dies of covid after they thought like they had the little, eradicated it. I like the it. little joke he's like a rich guy now cuz like the, the always the joke was he was poor as poor. Yeah. Um Stan has a nagging wife who turns out to actually just be Alexa. <laughs> Like, he calls her Alexa, but then at a certain point, you find out it is Amazon's Alexa, who's just, like, I guess, holographic in there. It'll be like, turn up the TV, Alexa. You're going to blow out your eardrums. Just turn up the TV, Alexa. (laughs) Would you like to hear about other TVs that you can purchase right now? No, Alexa. (laughs) It's great. Kyle... Just filled with piss and vinegar at this point, right? Yeah. We don't see a ton about Carl, except for he's very upset that Cartman comes to visit. And uh, Cartman has now become a rabbi <laughs> and is married to a Jewish woman and has and has little kids and is always talking about the Torah and everything. And it drives Kyle crazy because he doesn't believe he could be Jewish. He's basically like, you just became Jewish just to fuck with me. Yeah, which actually, it really appears in this episode that... Cartman did not do that. Like, Cartman actually grew up and became a better person. Maybe because of the absence of Kyle. I never thought of that as a, as a possibility. But, like, maybe Kyle just drove him crazy enough to where he just got crazier and crazier. <laughs> I mean, you got to take personal responsibility for sure. But I feel like this might posit that theory, right? Because as soon as Kyle's around and Kyle's being so terrible to him for so long, he starts to slip. And he's just like, fuck Kyle at a certain point. <laughs> but he's really, like, trying. He's trying, you know? And Kyle's so mean to even his kids that his kids turn against him. Yeah, you just, like, see him just, like, start falling immediately as soon as he's around Kyle. Eventually, right? Like, he holds off for a while. But then, yeah, by the end of the episode, he's he's closer to our terrible Cartman. Just in that he hates Kyle. But you can tell what's gonna what that's going to lead to, right? 
<laughs> just full on Cartman back. The entire town gets quarantined and nobody can get out because there's one person with COVID. But because it's the future, as a guy yells in a megaphone, they're not allowed to say who the one person who isn't vaccinated is. And so they're trapped there until everybody's vaccinated. And it turns out it's Craig. They find out eventually. And Craig just is waiting for the science to come in. Like still. <laughs> 40 years later. 30 years later. <laughs> It doesn't work as an It Chapter 2 if it's 40 years later. How would Stan's dad still be alive? I mean, 70, 80. I mean, he's in a retirement home. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We also find out that, like, Stan killed his sister and mom trying to burn down all the weed in a barn, right? (laughs) At the Tegrity Farm. In the Tegrity. Tegrity. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, well, I'm not sure they really establish it, but I think Stan's dad believes that he did start COVID because he fucked... (laughs) A pangolin. Yeah, a pangolin in China. So <laughs> I do remember that episode. It's pretty fucked up. Uh, I, I do like the uh, stinger at the end and like the mental hospital. And you see uh, Professor Chaos. Oh, right. Yeah. Which is Butters. Right. Because they kept calling him Chouse. Like, did you check on Chouse? Did you check on Chouse? And it turns out it's, it's Professor Chaos, right? <laughs> so they're just reading Chaos wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. How'd you feel about it? Did you like it? Um, I'm excited to see more. Like, yeah. I like that they're trying something different with the, the show. I was going to ask you, what's the deal with this? Because, like, they had they had kind of a movie before that, too, right? Like, they had like the, they've, the last three, quote, episodes were, like, basically all hour-long specials like this. Yeah, I'm wondering if they struck a deal with Comedy Central where they're like, we're just tired of doing the show. Like, maybe we can change it up. So that we would like to do it more. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. I it's I think they're trying to just skirt around. Like I know a lot of it's like because they do such a hectic schedule when they're really filming, like doing the the ten episode seasons turnaround on a regular episodes like seven days or six days yeah it's pretty crazy i've heard that they go to a story retreat with a bunch of writers and they come up with like they basically write like the the bones for the series they come up with the overall shape of what it's going to be in ideas but he's like we throw about 70 percent of that away when we actually go to to do the episode week by week because other things overtake it and then they come up with better ideas. So, like, they kind of make it more miserable for themselves being timely, I think. Yeah. Like, Especially being animated. I mean, to get an animated thing turned around in a week is pretty impressive. Yeah, the one that seemed like it was super nightmarish was that election one, though. Like, I mean, that's kind of almost legend now, but when Trump got elected, they were counting on Hillary Clinton winning, and so they had an entire season devoted to a Hillary Clinton presidency, and then they realized, fuck, she didn't win, and so they had to, like, change it. They had 24 hours to, like, change the episode enough to get it up to air and have it be, like, workable, and they didn't ever really feel like it actually became workable yeah they were very <laughs> upset with how that went over and they were upset at themselves too for putting themselves in that position but i do kind of wonder if something kind of broken them and they just finished out their contract and they were just like we're not doing this anymore <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know i thought they actually renegotiated for another couple of seasons that's something. what i'm wondering though if they just kind of negotiated it into these movies or something and i think I think they're kind of doing what Futurama did when they came back for season six, where... Five. I mean, 
it was later labeled five, but yeah, they did four seasons on Fox and then it went away for a while. And basically what they did, they did the three movies. Um, they couldn't get it back on the air and they were trying to get it back on the air. So then they convinced somebody at Fox, well, you've got all these like straight to video releases and I bet we have enough of a fan base where we could sell it and like turn out a pretty good profit. And so it, they talked this executive into it and then they were like, well, if you think about it, if we did four, it would cost not that much more than doing one and you would have four times the profit. So then he was like, okay. But really what they were doing was like, they were putting it in a way where like they were four parters. Like they understood the episode structure and were putting it into the movies because they were hoping that then that would get them the juice to like say like you can take these movies and turn them into episodes and then we will produce another season or two for you, which wound up working. So yeah, but they were trying to like come back from being canceled right like south park is in a different position where i think they're just i don't know i just i feel like they might be tired of the grind and they're just doing this as a way to um break it up a little bit like if you do these movies they're not as topical right like everything that they're talking about in these last couple of specials it's topical in that we've been dealing with the pandemic shit for a long time right but like there's nothing that's like this week it's topical right so you can yeah, actually like yeah. you can actually like put together a story and because it's this big epic story you can overlook the fact that they're not like making fun of whatever celebrity got in trouble that week or whatever you know it just like gives them a little more runway so that they don't have to rush everything and they're older now man they got to be close and to they 50. fucking work i mean with like Cause they had what the Book of Mormon I think is still on Broadway now that it's. I'm sure they don't do much up, of anything like, with that at this point though. They probably just collect them checks, you know. Yeah. Uh, anything else on that before we move on? Um, check it out if you can. That I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. I want to see more. <laughs> Because they definitely left it open-ended. I definitely want to see more as well. Um, and they actually have time travel in it, but they didn't actually... There wasn't much time traveling in it, per se. Like, you see Kenny time travel, but that's it. So, like, they didn't need to call me in for that one. But if you need more... Yeah, if you need more, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater 3000 is going to return. They're going to do it on their website. They have an app called Gizmoplex and it'll come out on March 14th and they're doing 13 new episodes that they did through Kickstarter. I guess Netflix didn't re-up their contract and I think they're fine with it. So I kind of wanted to talk about these movies a little bit that they picked. So the first one is Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. Okay, (laughs) I don't think this is a universal monster movie, but it does have Dracula. So this is about a Mexican wrestler, El Santo, who invents a time machine after somebody uses the machine to find the hidden location of Dracula's treasure. El Santo must hunt down the vampire. Uh, El Santo plays himself, and the original 1969 release was Santo and El Tesoro del Dracula was black and white and featured no nudity. The film was simultaneously shot in color, featuring full frontal nudity for European markets, and finally released in Mexico in 2012 is El Vampiro Ye El Sexo. (laughs) So let's like take the Mystery Science Theater element out of these movies for a second. Is that a movie that you would watch? No. 100% I would watch that movie. That would be one of those ones like late at night where I'm like, wait, what is this? And I would totally watch it. 
Okay, Robot Wars. A renegade mega robot pilot and an archaeologist must team up to thwart the Centro's attempt to resurrect a hidden mega robot, which they can challenge the prevailing order. This was the sequel to the movie Robot Jocks. Would you watch this movie? I might watch this one. Why is that? Robots are always entertaining. Really? Robots... I gotta say, I, I didn't like Robot Jocks. I probably wouldn't watch this one. Um, just so you know, the uh, Mystery Science Theater tour is coming to Missoula. No shit. Next month, January 6th. Oh, might have to do that. Yeah, I might have to do that. Uh, Beyond Atlantis. A band of adventurers invade a native island determined to grab a reported fortune and buried treasure. The islanders are just as determined to keep their sacred treasure. Complications ensue. So this is a Sid Haig movie where you find out the islanders are all half fish. Are you in on this one? You had me at Sid Haig. Yeah, I thought I might right there. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds corny as hell, and I would love this movie. See, they find a lot of these movies where it's like either, no, I would never fucking watch that without robots making fun of it over the top of it, or it's like, yeah, I kind of want to watch that movie. Munchie, the ever-hungry and funny Munchie, is back in the sequel to Munchies. It's a <laughs> sequel to a ripoff of Gremlins with Dom DeLuise voicing over it. It's a Roger Corman joint. Would you watch Munchie? I have seen Munchie. Okay. Uh, not with mystery, without mystery science theater. No. Okay. What is Munchies anyway? It's weird. By the way, usually you go alien and then aliens, but this one goes Munchies and then Munchie. That's weird. See, I I remember them being like a bunch of them, and I I remember it being like a really really bad Gremlins knockoff. I should say on the Gremlins tip. So in two weeks, we're doing Gremlins on a cosmic void. And we do talk about all the Gremlins knockoffs, but just very, very briefly. And Munchies was definitely in that list I came across. So there was like Munchies, Troll, Ghoulies. Yeah, I remember Ghoulies. Hobgoblins. There was something else, but I can't remember what the other thing was now. Dr. Mordred. An unspeakable evil has come into our dimension and wants to rule over Earth, and only a mysterious sorcerer known as Dr. Morgrid can stop him. It was written to be a Doctor Strange movie, but they lost the rights, so they made it R-rated and playing Dr. Mordred, Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator. Yes, I would watch Yeah, that. 100%, dude. I'm so in on that. Like, I love that it's a Marvel thing that they were like, ah, fuck it, let's just put some titties in there. Because <laughs> we <laughs> lost some more the rights. And we'll put in fucking Herbert West from fucking Reanimator. <laughs> I'm fucking in. I'm so in on that one. Demon Squad. Nick Moon PI, which stands for Paranormal Investigator. Mm-hmm. Delves into a hidden world of monsters and creatures of the night as he takes on a case to retrieve an ancient artifact with astonishing power. Released in 2019, this is the newest movie Mystery Science Theater 3000 has ever done. This one sounds like it could be fun, but there's not enough. I don't know enough about it to want to watch it. What about you? Yeah, that one, I don't, that doesn't interest me very much. Gamera versus Jaeger. Uh, You mean Jaeger? Like the... The ro- big robots? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, like, Pacific it's like Rim, a Godzilla like uh, side cool thing, I think. Because isn't Gamera, wasn't that one of the monsters that faces Godzilla? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, and that's why I think it's a Jaeger. Okay. When an ancient statue is moved for display in Expo 70, a giant vaguely Triceratops-like monster is released. The monster goes to Japan in pursuit of the statue and ends up battling Gamera, the giant flying turtle. Fun. Yeah, I would watch it. 
I would absolutely watch it. Have you seen any of the Gamera movies? Yeah, probably. I think I've seen Gamera versus Godzilla, whatever that was called, but I don't remember. It's probably Godzilla versus Gamera, right? Yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of those stones, so. <laughs> Fair. I was a kid. This one I'm super excited for. The Batwoman. Batwoman is called to investigate a whacked out scientist that is capturing wrestlers and using their spinal fluid to create a gill man. So this is a ripoff superhero movie from Italy. It features this very stacked woman running around with like an Adam West style Batman cowl, but then also like bikini like with it <laughs> and occasionally she wears like a great super tight sweats but mostly she wears bikinis like in almost all the scenes <laughs> what do you think maybe if italian spider-man's any clue then i mean <laughs> yeah an italian spider-man make no mistake is making fun of this stuff it's totally making fun of this cottage industry of like Italian movies and all these other countries that were taking superheroes, but then they clearly knew nothing about them except for vaguely what they look like. And then just like making a batshit crazy movie off of them. I can't wait to watch this, dude. <laughs> That's number one on my list. In fact, I might watch it before Mystery Science Theater 3000 comes out, if I'm being honest. The Million Eyes of Sumuru. Sumuru is a beautiful but evil woman who plans world domination by having her sexy all-female army eliminate men male leaders and replace them with their female agents uh it's starring frankie avalon who's in all those beach blanket movies from the 50s oh so it's an older yeah and apparently this is the first time mystery science theater 3000 is redoing a movie because they've done this movie before in the initial run this one doesn't excite me yeah i might watch it if it was on but eh, just on its own H.G. Wells' The Shape of Things to Come. Sometime in the future, man has set up colonies on the moon when Earth becomes an uninhabitable. <laughs> a madman decides to destroy the moon colonies with his robots and automated ships, and only three people in the robot can stop him. So this was a Star Wars ripoff that took the name of the H.G. Wells book. The only thing they adapted from it was a couple of character names, and it stars Jack Palance. What do you think about this one? Yes. And hopefully it takes place in the distant future, the year 2000. It's very unlikely <laughs> I would watch this one, but like, I might, you never know. I wouldn't necessarily turn it off if it was already on, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be upset if this came on a box office battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Mask 3D. A young archaeologist believes he is cursed by a mask that causes him to have weird nightmares and possibly to murder. Before committing suicide, he mails a mask to a psychiatrist, Dr. Barnes, who is soon plunged into the nightmare world of the mask. The movie gave every audience member a mask, and it was the first feature-length movie produced in Canada that was distributed beyond Canada, and it was the first horror movie ever made in Canada. Would you check out this movie? It's from, like, 1961, I believe. Ooh. So this is not like Jim Carrey, The Mask, which I thought at first, I was like, I didn't know they made a third one. So it's like The Mask 3D. It sounds like they made it during the, the digital 3D era and it just didn't play. You know what I mean? Yeah. God, that sounds just awful. And some really early after watching Cannibal Girls, I'm like, no, <laughs> God, no. To be fair, this is the grandfather of Cannibal Girls. <laughs> That's not the selling point. Uh <laughs> What was it I was watching the other day? Shit's Creek? No, I was watching a movie. Oh, it was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Okay. So they, they're tearing down the street, Ecto-1, 
and they go by the movie theater and Cannibal Girls was on, on the market. Oh, yeah. That's, so that's a nod to Jason's dad, yeah. Ivan, who directed the first Ghostbusters. And that god-awful Cannibal Girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's like one of his first movies. So I'm not going to disparage him for that. But it is a truly awful movie. <laughs> uh, the Bubble. Mysterious atmospheric effects force of pregnant woman and her husband to land their airplane in a remote town where inhabitants behave zombie-like. Repeating the same movements and sentences over and over. As a mystery unfolds, the two find themselves trapped in search for escape. So apparently this movie, they're really trapped under a dome by aliens. Are you into this? I could watch this one. This one sounds boring to me, but yeah. The Christmas Dragon. <laughs> a group of orphans goes on a journey to restore the lost magic and save Christmas. It's a super bad CGI movie from just a couple years ago. Would you check Ooh, out this one? That one sounds awful. <laughs> Doesn't it a little too soon? <laughs> it does look terrible, and I could see how they could make fun of it, though, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... Sounds like uh, the racist dragon from Flight of the Concord. So Amy Pascal announced that Sony and the MCU will collaborate for another trilogy of Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland. So we're getting some more Spider-Man movies. Yay. Yay. Do you think that means we get them in more just plain MCU joints too? I think so. I hope so. I hope if it's trilogy, it's not necessarily like Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6. I'd like to see him like pop up in somebody else's movie again, you know? But it might be too early to announce that kind of stuff because they might not want people to expect all the like building together people yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think Marvel's there yet. I think phase four is about setting up new things, you know? So we kind of, we know the Avengers is there, right? Because we got Shang-Chi as part of the Avengers now. Oh, have you watched Shang-Chi yet? Yeah, I have seen. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. It's only been on Disney Plus for a month. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, as soon as I came on Disney. Okay. All right. What would you think of that, by the way? Uh, I really liked it. I did think it was a very similar plot and look to Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, that's because it's the classic, like, Kung Fu plot. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Kung Fu Panda is just... But I mean, like, there were, like, some shot-for-shot shot stuff taken from Kung Fu Panda. Okay. I would argue like Kung Fu Panda rips off literally everything in that movie from Kung Fu movies. Well, I mean, it's the mom when she does like the sweeps the leg around and like she's like channeling chi and stuff. Yeah. That's a, like that's I, a trope too though. Yeah. But I mean like – Specifically, same, that's, like, that's like a trope that's in um, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Which yeah. is was not that old when Kung no. Fu Panda came out either. Yeah, I'm just excited to see more Spider-Man. Give me more Spider-Man. Just put it in my veins. I'm now. enjoying Tom Holland's Spider-Man, so give me more of that. All right, we're here with Carl. So what do you want to talk about first, Carl? Should we talk about crazy old man Spielberg first? <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, he, okay. So let me preface this with, this is not one of my usual rants where some old director gets pissed off at, at comic book movies and says something and then I get mad about it. Which to be fair is almost every old director. <laughs> it's just like not all of them do it in front of the press. Yeah. And one new director that just refuses to admit that he's basically a comic book movie director. 
I will say of of <laughs> the old guard, Spielberg is the one guy who would shock me if he came out against Marvel movies. Like he's the one guy I would be surprised at yeah. because that's kind of his bag. Like that's not really what he does anymore, but he did that so much. I would just be shocked if he was like, like what's he, the value in this? Like he's the one guy I could not see doing that. Honestly, he was one of the guys that created the format, the formula yeah. that comic book movies follow today. Absolutely. <laughs> like you watch, you watch Indiana Jones, any Indiana Jones movie, and it's basically a Marvel movie in the pacing and the atmosphere and the mixture of like different elements and the adventure of it all. And it's really interesting because he took it from those serials, but then the way he made it a full movie, you're right. Like it really reinvents the genre. Lucas, I wouldn't even be... I I wouldn't be shocked with Lucas even because he's so weirdly specific with the things that he loves that like <laughs> well wouldn't be shocked here and be like oh, I don't really see the point in a Marvel movie like I wouldn't be shocked with him although I kind of doubt it since he's making money off of them because he like part of that deal for selling Star Wars was he got a percentage stake in Disney so it, it wasn't the just a four billion trade off like people think like some of that was in stock so. You know, I don't think Lucas is going to talk against his own company, except for when he's had a few and wants to talk a little bit of shit about Star Wars, <laughs> as he did with The Force Awakens. But anyway, so there was a Spielberg thing. Yeah, so this was Spielberg talking about his decision in West Side Story to not subtitle any of the Spanish speaking in the movie. And his re- justification for it was that he was respecting the language because we're in he didn't want the movie to be English speaking centric. It but bu- it bugs me because he's an English speaking director making an, a movie in America, primarily English speaking audiences, based on a Broadway musical that was in English for English speaking audiences as well. And it's not out of an ethnocentric reason. It's out of practicality because you want the people that are viewing the thing you're making to understand what you're fucking saying and he did a great job of going out of his way to cast puerto rican people to play the puerto rican gang the sharks right i don't know i don't know west side it's story the sharks and the jets but i, I haven't seen it since i, I was think a the kid, sharks so are the puerto rican gang who's who and you know and i am very interested in hearing them speaking their native language to each other but i want to understand what they're saying to each other so that i can get the full experience of their performance like i feel like i'm missing out on things in their performance the same way that um for example there was there was obviously english subtitles for uh squid game which was a south korean show yeah and they speak korean and from what i've read online there are certain performances that came off somewhat cartoonish because of how the subtitles were done poorly and didn't translate what the actors were actually saying and if they showed like those scenes with different subtitles put in and it changed the entire nature of the performance for me as a viewer. It's interesting because nothing about Squid Game made me go out thinking like this is corny. I don't know, like it Well, did it you all try for me. did you ever try watching it with the dub instead? 
I accidentally had the dub on because it automatically loaded the dub for me. And I watched about 15 minutes. And then I was just like, I don't think I can hang with this if I can't turn off the dub. And so I turned off the dub and then I was very Able to hang with it. And by the way, I've kind of evolved my thinking on that. I used to be very much against doing that. Now I'm just like, however you got to watch it, watch it. Right. Whatever makes you I heard an argument about it and I was like, okay, that's fair. Like some people have reading disabilities or whatever and so it's just harder for them to hang with it so yep someone's if someone's got dyslexia they're not gonna like subtitles very much yeah and i've been hearing lately the last 20 years certain people who don't read comic books because they just don't intuitively understand how to read a comic book which seems crazy to me but then it occurs to me i've been reading comic books since i was like at least five like maybe even slightly younger so i've been indoctrinated with that so that's really easy for me but a lot of these people who say that then like go and watch Marvel movies and shows and love them. So it's like you're getting kind of the same thing, but in a different form because they can hang with it. So that kind of changed my thinking on that. But going back to the Spielberg thing, we've not seen it, so we can't really exactly speak to um, whether the scenes work or not if we're English speakers. But I would say that... Uh, I guess I'm going to have to watch it just to find out, right? Right. Because I've come out and I've said this. So we'll be revisiting this at a future and date. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I'll watch it. I, I watched the I trailer <laughs> and I didn't want to watch it. Now I'm going to. I didn't want to watch it. And then I watched the trailer and they did that overhead shot where they had these shadows going really long as the gang was walking together. And I was like, God damn, that looks good. I think I'm going to have to watch this. And I don't even like musicals. But, so, but anyway, um, what, what I wanted to get to is, did you hear about that experiment that Soderbergh did? I want to say it was like maybe eight years ago with Raiders of the Lost Ark? No. So he wanted to prove you can say everything you need in a film by the composition of the picture. And so he was like, Spielberg is a perfect person to do this because you can watch his movies and you don't need to hear the dialogue to understand what's going on in the movies. And so what he did was took out the color and made Raiders black and white. He put it up on his website. He removed all the music and I think he he put like a Nine Inch Nails album scoring it, like maybe a couple albums. I didn't watch it all the way through, but I watched like a half hour just to see how this experiment played out and you can't hear dialogue you just hear the music right so his idea is like you remove the music you put something else there you remove the dialogue can you understand what's going on and you watch it and absolutely you can understand just through the images what's going on in the movie like it's kind of interesting because like Spielberg has a way of shooting things where like and I I know there's technical reasons for it I'm not advanced enough to say what they are but like Soderbergh's point was any director can can use composition to explain oh, everything Soderberg. they need. In I a love movie. Soderbergh. He's great. But this is, I think this might be a case of Elon Musk reinventing the bus. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that early movies were silent. Yeah. Which means they had to convey everything with the images. Well, <laughs> and an occasional title card. Occasional right? title card, but like that's still, that's probably something that Spielberg did, right? Was used title cards occasionally. He had the map. He had the map. That's he kind definitely of a title had the card. math to show ti- uh, no, to show um, travel. The, yeah, the map. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, like to show math. travel. He said math. Oh no, no. <laughs> it's like math. I just misunderstood you. You know how like Elon Musk was like, we're not Elon Musk, but 
he didn't reinvent the bus, but like there was like some guy that was like, what if we had an Uber, but the Uber picked up a bunch of people and instead of picking up individuals, it just went to specific preset destinations and it went in a circle. And you're like, so a bus. Like, this is the new, <laughs> this is the future of Uber. And they're like, no, it's a thing that has existed for literally decades. Yeah. It's basically like saying we could take this dough and we could cook it until it expands to a certain form and then cut it (laughs) into segments and then like we could put meat and make sandwiches on it. What do we call this new thing? I don't know but it's the best invention since sliced bread. (laughs) (laughs) So like and it also kind of the idea of taking out the words and being able to still convey it betrays a vision centric perspective that these people have. Blind people aren't going to get anything out of our movies because the only all the important pertinent stuff is visual based and they don't have vision. Like, Yeah, but I'm betting you can turn on a, a hearing impaired option. They always have those on Blu-rays. Yeah, and, and, and 4K those are now. bullshit and are not I've, I've like not d- I, dipped into it. But well, just like I turn on closed captioning a lot and it's especially when it's like done for TV. It's bad because it's lazily implemented. It's clearly not on anybody's mind. There are certain directors that I think are clued into that kind of shit. You ever see Nightwatch? I think Edgar Wright. Yeah. Uh, yes. And he hand painted all the English subtitles and then they like turned to blood and stuff because yeah. like he was like, I want the English speaking audience to get the into guys, this movie. The so guys, he the really concentrated guys? on it. Yeah. Yeah. Guys? They definitely do stuff. They with give it a too. fuck about making it their movies more interesting for hearing impaired people. Like I think they have a conscious that's part of their process when they're doing it. And I think that even if they're not making movies on the level of Ridley Scott and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Coppola and Scorsese, who are secretly all the same person and are really a shapeshifter. <laughs> this is a great theory you came up with today. That like, <laughs> well, like specifically all one what? guy. Coppola, Coppola, Lucas, and Spielberg shared an apartment. So I'm convinced. And, and uh, well, a, a commune. It was also Brian De Palma and Francis Ford Coppola. Those five. Yeah. yeah. It was Martin Scorsese's like the one guy. And, every, and then he would like put on his, his Spielberg beard and go out into the world and be like, I'm Steven Spielberg. I'm going to make this movie about the guy and then he go back into his house that's a good Spielberg and then he <laughs> and then he takes off his Spielberg beard and he puts on his George Lucas beard and he goes out and he's like I'm Steven Spielberg no wait I'm George uh, Lucas uh, I'm George, I'm George Lucas, Lucas. Um. <laughs> and see back then when he was doing that they didn't have internet so, they so didn't we couldn't put it. together the clips he so got like... the anybody that saw him do that they got erased man <laughs> they got taken out Made they made him disappear because <laughs> he's Coppola too right so he's got all the mafia connections I don't think Coppola has any mafia connections. Well, he's connected to the guy that wrote the books. Mario Puzo. Who, that guy's who got own, mafia connections. There, there is an interesting story I came across when we covered The Godfather for a Cosmic Void last week. And uh, Mario Puzo was he was offered $15,000 for the option for Paramount to buy the book. And then another seventy five dollars if they turned it into a movie. And his agent told him this is too good. Don't take the offer. But he took the offer because he owed 12000 in gambling debts. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a true story. Mafia connection. Yeah. So he has a connection in that, like, 
Yeah, he did owe money. And that's why these guys are always making movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and fucking E.T. is to like when when people try to tell them, oh, George Lucas is an alien. They'll be like, what, like in E.T.? And then. <laughs> right. And then it's like. <laughs> Plausible fuck, deniability. Yeah, they're like the aliens are the ones making the movies about aliens. They're the ones shaping our perspective of what aliens look like. We think aliens look like E.T. and the Xenomorph. And the Predator, when they look like George Lucas, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma. That commune was a spaceship that landed, and then they just built a house around it. And by they, you mean he? He <laughs> or it? I don't know how his genitalia works. I get. I guess that my, I'm bad at conspiracy theories because I keep changing my story. <laughs> I would say that makes you the perfect conspiracy theorist <laughs> because when you see something that counters I it, just you just Instantly like, adjust my exactly. my story to fit the narrative making. Yeah, yeah, actually, that is the perfect conspiracy <laughs> too. It's the one that just like embraces new evidence and just reshapes his story to fit any new evidence. Yeah, just, you, I'm always gonna... you need it malleable enough to be able to like <laughs> yeah. just switch the narrative at any given point. Well, the old white movie directors are a are an eight one alien is a pretty malleable. <laughs> conspiracy yeah. we've never seen and him you know, in one place and if we have it's because he can also shift into five forms he can once. like do the mirror image thing he can create holograms of himself oh yeah nobody ever like he whenever those guys are around in a group they only ever you ever notice they only ever touch each other <laughs> They never touch their actors. Like if they're at a party, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas will shake hands, but Steven Spielberg won't shake hands with Nicolas Cage. No. Because Nicolas Cage, by the way, is not an alien. <laughs> I am claiming him as a member of the human race. He may be the apex of the human race. Well, he's a time traveler. We've already established. We've already oh, established. Oh, he's going to be Dracula. Yeah, we talked about that earlier in the episode. Did you have further thoughts on that? Uh, he's going to be Dracula. <laughs> Do you need more? <laughs> like, I wish this movie was not about Renfield. I wish it was about Dracula now. <laughs> Let's be real, I fucking dude. can't it's still, stand Nicholas It's still Hull. about Dracula because Ugh. Renfield is a henchman of Dracula. So you Renfield, can't get around it. The only way I will appreciate a movie about Renfield is if it's done in the style of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, where it takes all the most important scenes from the source material that the character's from and shoots those. But then in the time in between those scenes, it just shows Renfield just like doing regular normal ass boring shit <laughs> not having his own adventures killing I'm, time in between master calls me it's a robert kirkman <clears throat> written thing so or it's like, probably or like gonna he be did, good he then. did the storyline i think he knows he robert kirkman knows how to do shit like this yeah so honestly. it does that it, gives me hope <clears throat> it gives me hope that gives me hope i i was making fun of it earlier because Universal keeps Kirkman. trying to reboot Dark, Dark Universe. Universe. Right. <laughs> right. Which I'm just like, hell yeah, oh, more bring, content. With Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Yes. Like the, yes. That's the Dark Universe I can get behind. <laughs> Dude, you know James Gunn will sign up for one of the Dark Universe movies if it's got Nicolas Cage as Dracula in it. That's not a bad <laughs> point. Now, I want to know uh, the best Renfield in any vampire movie has got to be Tom Waits was Renfield in in the the Francis the Ford's Coppola's, uh, Dracula yeah. yeah like that movie is 
exquisitely cast with controversy surrounding the two leads of Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves just because they My were... memory was like it, it was mostly centered on Keanu Reeves because that was a point of Keanu Reeves's career where he was still known Whoa. as Ted. Yeah. yeah. And people didn't want and him point to break. break out of that. And Point Break. He's kind of woeing yeah. him his way through that but movie like point being break, confused. Point Break like feeds <laughs> into that narrative, right? Like right. the kind of empty-headed guy. Like you think about other roles he had at that time as like Parenthood. He's like the, the kind of dipshit <laughs> Shit, boyfriend of the high school girl that's in it and just like that was all of his roles and so people were upset that there was this big thing coming was out. Was Winona Ryder always considered good? She um, was, did she do this I think she was before con- or after Edward Scissorhands? That's the only other it's thing. It's definitely after. But I, Was I, that her first movie? What was her first? No, she was in other I stuff I couldn't before. tell you for sure what her first movie is. Maybe Benny and June? Okay, that's the one she did with Johnny Depp, right? Is Johnny Depp yeah, in that one? Yeah, I think it's Johnny Depp. I know Never watched that one. Me neither. No, that's not true. I did see it, but I remember very little because I was a kid. With Winona Ryder, actually, it might be kind of the same thing with Keanu Reeves, which <clears> is just like they were used to seeing her in like quirky comedies and then she was going out of her lane. She's just kind of out of her league and j- they're both kind of out of their league. They're surrounded by Gary Oldman, fucking Anthony Hopkins, all these like fucking real powerhouse like we're going to do intense shit that fucks you up. <laughs> Yeah, and then like this super famous director who had had this amazing run and then was on Bad Times – and then, like, that movie is, like, the one spot where it's just, like, when did people didn't immediately hate it. You know what I mean? What's the timeline where between her getting all that negative publicity for shoplifting and this movie? Are those... Man, my, my gut tells me it's, like, five or six years before. I, I can't back that up, but I just feel like it's, it's a few years before all of that goes down. The whole free Winona thing you're talking about, right? Like, she shoplifted, I want to say it was, like, a shirt or something in the department store and then that became a big deal because it's like dude why does she need to shoplift <laughs> like she's an a-list actor that really hurt her career and i feel like hasn't really recovered since i mean like she was in stranger things and people were talking about her very lovingly in stranger things but i haven't seen her in anything since stranger things 2001 was when she was arrested okay and it's got to be the 90s for that Dracula movie. The Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah. was the movie, right? Yeah. 92. Okay. So what? when did I say? I said he, 2001. Nine, so it was like oh, it nine was way years later. before. Yeah. So I don't think those two, there was no connection. Maybe this is people commenting on it nowadays even not even it's the also re- reaction it it's also one of those things like if you're a kid when I when these movies come out and you see it later you know like you might associate it with closer to that event just because it's when you saw it i don't know just throwing out theories our memories are not infallible either <laughs> we had gary oldman winona Ryder, anthony hopkins keanu reeves richard e grant <laughs> yeah richard e grant is the shit man. carrie elvis billy campbell sadie frost tom waits monica bellucci by the way have you heard about francis ford coppola's new movies working on i find this kind of fascinating i think it's like super metropolis is the name of the movie but uh is it a sequel to metropolis I don't think so, but it's some... Megalopolis. Megalopolis, okay. He is selling his vineyard. He's selling most of his stuff 
to get this made because he realized that like nobody's going to give him financing for it that he needs. And he's like, I, I just don't care anymore. I've always wanted to make this movie. Nobody's going to give me the money to make this movie. So I'm just going to bet the farm on it. He did this before with Apocalypse Now and it failed and it destroyed his career. <laughs> well, but now if he does it now, what's he going to do? That, I think he's that's like, the point. He doesn't give a fuck. I like this. He's like, my, my vineyard doesn't matter. Like all he, what he cares about is his film legacy yeah. at this point. Good. Which I think is like, I don't know if it's going to be good, but like, I'm definitely going to go see it because I'm fascinated by that, that like, he is like stepping away from literally everything to just be like, nope, I'm going to give it one more shot. This is the thing I care about. And I I respect the swing like a lot because he's been bad for a while. And like, I mean, to be honest, dude, he <laughs> has he this like, good? yeah, dude, <laughs> <laughs> he had his, who, he had, is the, who are we talking he, about again? Francis Ford Coppola. Who's that? What did he done? Taxi driver? <laughs> we were just talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula. What did he do? Did he do uh, but Raging Bull? No, he did The Godfather, The Godfather <laughs> See, Part 2, The, the Conversation, guy. and Apocalypse Now, which like all four of those were up for Best Picture, like his four movies in a row. The Conversation and Godfather Part 2 were up against each other for Best Picture and Best Director the same year. Like it's fucking nuts. He had this amazing five or six movie run and then just like he bet the farm on Apocalypse Now, which which I think is a great movie, but it bombed in theaters. It was all his own financing. And so he could only do stuff for the studio after that. And so you can just see there's a sign where it's like really high up here. And then it just <laughs> fucking drops after that because he can't win any arguments. Like it's going right into the eighties when like Coca-Cola is buying Columbia TriStar and like all the big corporations are buying all the studios. And so now they don't care about artistic vision anymore. They're like, no, we've seen this formula works. We need to do a formula because we need to make money. Like they go completely away from the, the system they had in the seventies. And Spielberg is the only guy who can hang with that because because he was successful enough and manages money well enough to start up a production company. So he didn't have to answer to those guys. He just had them like pick up part of the budget and then he's, he would have the controlling stakes. So he got to make the decisions. So it's like, I just find it, the swing fascinating. I love that. He's like betting the rest of his comfortable life on this. You know what I mean? And like, he's not going to live in the street if it doesn't work out. Like yeah. he could, if he he's wanted to, he could lower man. himself to he's go to comic cons or whatever. He still makes, I'm sure he still just makes money every Every year without having to do anything. Yeah. Right? You would think. But Francis Ford Coppola, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. Just one piece of advice. If you want this to succeed without a hitch, there's one thing that you can do that will only hurt you. So don't do this thing. Don't talk shit about Marvel movies, dude. <laughs> it just doesn't work well for grandpas right yeah, now. Yeah. Leave them alone. Let them have, let the kids have their toys. I realize you probably and, don't and like also, them. Keep your mouth the, shut. The people that you're <laughs> insulting, you know, when you're talking about kids, they're all in their 40s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're us. <laughs> yeah, leave us alone. <laughs> Maybe he's going to take our advice with a great assault, <laughs> but whatever. <clears throat> um, so we should probably jump into some superhero talk. So first, I wanted to talk about that Across the Spider-Verse trailer that dropped. Yep. Came so, out of nowhere for me. Yeah, me too, dude. I Ab- just like absolutely. was scrolling through Twitter and then suddenly it was right there. And I was like, no shit. Part one. Whoa. They're taking a swing. Following up a movie with a two-part sequel. That historically doesn't work very good i don't know man 
Uh, you liked Pirates of the Caribbean two and three. I didn't like part one, so oh yeah, um, uh, yeah, and yes, two was extremely worse, <laughs> <laughs> and I got drugged to that one. I, once again, didn't like the first one. No, I'm thinking more like Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. That works out okay. Back to the Future. I like all of those movies. <laughs> I do. I like them all. Uh, okay. They're fun. But see, okay, I'll I will There's say there's a couple Back historic to the future, examples though. Back to the Future could be argued either way compelling arguments that the sequels are good and there's compelling oh, I gotta arguments take this that the back. sequels were bad hold on i gotta take this back there's empire strikes back and return of the jedi were not filmed at the same time at no point did i ever think that i don't know why i listed that as an example i have one <laughs> I example i have one example where it worked out <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Endgame and Infinity War. Yeah, but War. that is also the culmination of like 18 it's, movies. It is. It's a little bit more of a It is very weird up. specific circumstance it's, to get it's there. It's a lot more build up than this. And it's like. And technically it's like the third and fourth Avengers movies. Yeah, too. I wouldn't call that a two and a three. Yeah. By any stretch no, of the imagination. No, it's a three and a four. It's a. It is a three and a four, but yes, it's a, also a culmination and of an everything. And 18 and 19. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's true. Like, uh, what else was filmed? I know there were some other ones that were. Oh, Matrix. Yeah, yeah. That didn't work oof. out. And those, and, and, and not to say that these movies don't have good things in them. It just feels like when you try to do that much all at once, it is exhausting for everybody involved and people tend to miss things more. Very, it gets very chaotic, I think, on the sets and stuff. And from what I've heard, Marvel sets are somewhat chaotic to begin they with. They would have to be so many people involved and it, like more people involved in one of those movies than any other kind of movie, right? Like you have all all the special effects going on. You have constant actors. You have all the people in those actors' orbits because let's be real, a lot of those people have stylists, they have publicists, they have uh, newspaper reporters that are doing a story on yeah. a thing that can be there for like a limited run. They have their guy who like runs. Part. And that's like in so addition thing, to all the normal people on the a movie thing this, set. that these ones have going for them is one animated. It's an animated film so, like, so we're not going to have the actors getting exhausted at least being on the sets for and then ever. also like you probably have such a big animated team that it's not like they're probably working their normal amount of working you know what I mean right like I feel like animation departments nowadays just they work a and this movie eight, also doesn't feel nine cranked to five out. or whatever this, I bet they've been working on this it's three years right yeah. like they have been not trying to push this deadline they've been they've given themselves enough time to like do it and put the real time in there's no i think that that was one of the issues with like the pirates of the caribbeans and the matrixes is they were we gotta get these out like tomorrow the two matrix movies came out in the same year yeah it was the the year of the the summer and the The, winter right uh one came out in like june and then one came out around christmas like that was a nice christmas present for me i gotta say because (laughs) dude i go with the matrix movies completely wrong so far the first one came out to the theaters and i was like i just don't give a shit like keanu reeves is always in these mindless action movies i don't care everybody kept telling me i should go see it and i'm like i don't care i don't care dude i don't care and then finally i was at a party i had no choice but to sit down and watch the movie with everybody else when it first came out on video and i was like fuck i should have seen this in the theater this is so (laughs) fucking good so then i like 
eagerly go to see the second one and just so let down by it. And one of the things I wanted was like Zion because I was like, you talked hey, about you this place, Zion. but we don't even see it. So I was just a lot of things really let down by the second one. Go to the third one. I, I didn't want to see it. I got drugged to it because our, the drummer in my band, Adam McDonald, he was like, dude, I will pay if you go see it. And Adam doesn't pick up a check ever, like ever. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Cause I was just like, I don't, I don't think he's ever going to pay for anything with me ever again. Like we always bought him everything. So I went to it and I really, really enjoyed it. I had low expectations and they actually did what I wanted them to do. I liked the ending of it. I'll go to bat for how that ends. I think that's probably the best possible ending for that trilogy. This new one dropped. And it seemed like you and me and Brandon were just like kind of nonplussed by it. And honestly, I was too. Like, I was just like, I don't even know what to say. So we just kind of ignored it. Then they started putting it in the movie theater ads over and over and over again. And seeing it on the big screen, I was like, you know, this does look a little bit better than I thought. And every time I see it, I'm just like, God damn, that trailer's good now. Like, I just like, I've gotten more and more into it the more I've seen it. And I'm actually really excited for this one, which tells me it's probably going to be terrible. <laughs> Did Morpheus die in the in the first trilogy? At all. He survived. There's the apparently extended lore. They did something on the internet where they continued the story. And the Wachowski said if they ever made another film, they were going to adhere to all of the lore that was in that. Sure. So maybe this is part of the lore. Or it could be that it's just the Matrix is rebooted again. So all the characters are reborn. Well. So maybe they're doing no, no, a no. different twist on what it. What I'm saying is I think Morpheus lives in the movie trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does. And yeah, I'm sorry. He and, died at some point in the extended right, lore. But what the, I'm my point is that he's the only character that's been seemingly recast. Yeah. And he's the only one that was alive. And I think so I, I think I, I heard think that Lawrence is Fishburne that is, wants to do it too. I think Lawrence Fishburne is in the movie, but I think that him being a different person, there's gotta be something Maybe. where all of the people that died in the movies are alive in this, played by their original actors, and the one person that lived in the movies is played by somebody else. That has to be plot relevant, right? Like that's Could that's be. all I'm. I, I'm not mad about it. I'm curious. Like I, if if for some reason Lawrence Fishburne got snubbed, that would make me sad. I don't want to assume that that's the case. I am very entertained by people that are watch the trailer for this movie and are like, looks like the woke police got to the Matrix. <laughs> as though as though there aren't like symbolism all throughout the entire film filmography That's of so the Wachowskis. Ridiculous. Like they pick <laughs> every single movie they've made is infused with this like let's, let's examine trans that. positive energy yeah. and yeah, let's like LGBT positive energy and it was like, directed by two directors who wound up transitioning later. Its lead is part Asian. The second lead is a woman. Other second lead is a black man. Like, you just go down the lines like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about, dude? <laughs> the villains are all white guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Specifically, one white guy, the man, if you yeah. will. <laughs> There's a, the Oracle, the black woman. Yep. Uh, it's just like going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, The one white guy on their side, like, is Joey Pants, and he winds up betraying him. Is a villain. For like, yep. Because the steak tastes he wants really to good. Tasted good. Because he's a selfish American, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just like. I didn't even Hilarious. think about it through that lens, oh, but man. as soon as you say that, it's the like, yeah, that's, that's finally nuts. Got to him. That's fucking nuts. Took dude. him long enough to get there. <laughs> that's crazy. Let me ask you a quick question. How do you feel about the Matrix sequels? 
Um, I think that uh, they don't make any sense. When's the last There's time? A few things when's I the liked. last time you've seen them? Because I haven't seen them for like whenever they came out. That was the last time I saw them. Recently, um, the Weekly Planet Boys on their Caravan of Garbage series went back through and revisited the Matrix trilogy, and I took that up as an opportunity to rewatch them. Okay, so, so that you have I could a fresh more take closely, on it. A relative. This was about a year ago, maybe. So I think that there are good <clears throat> things. In there, here and there, but I think that overall they're kind of a mess. Yeah, okay. They're just kind of a mess. 100% agree. I think they had good ideas, but they didn't successfully execute those ideas, ultimately. More in the second one than in the third one, but I will say that that freaking freeway scene is fucking badass, dude. Like, when it comes to just something you want to see in the theater, now that's something... They built, like, a mile and a half long stretch of actual highway out in the middle of the desert. In Australia? Was it Australia they filmed? Some... I don't remember... I don't know where it is, but I just know that they there's a lot of surprising practical effects in that sequence that you would not expect. Like the kind of stuff that would be 100% blue screen today. Yeah. And they could have done it 100% blue screen back then and it would have looked terrible. Like garbage. It would have looked like the final scene in that That's same like, movie. The Matrix kind of lifts us starts lifting us out of that era of bad CGI, right? Like, it's starting to be that, like, big-budget movies I think look at what the Matrix do. they helped pioneer some techniques. Yeah. And they also, I think, they because they were borrowing so much from Eastern filmmaking, they started melding Eastern and Western techniques in ways that hadn't really been done before. And I think that helped, that was a big part of it. I just hesitate to give any Western cinema that is borrowing from the East full credit on pioneering new techniques. Like, really, they're blending things that other people have done with things that they're doing on our side. I think what what generally happens is once it hits Hollywood, it goes global, right? Because we do put out the movies that tend to make the most money around the world just because we have the biggest marketing arm. We have the the biggest corporations. One big thing The Matrix does is martial arts movies from the East would do long takes of fights. And if you watch old Steven Seagal martial arts movies and (laughs) he like one kick cut, one block cut, one kick cut, you know, to try to make it look really cool. And it actually looks looks terrible. Right. But that's and, how that's how Americans did it back in the day. And The Matrix was one of the first movies to be a Western film that did the Eastern style to it. And but it's kind of a blend. Like it's yeah, there's more cuts than a martial arts film from the East, but there's way less cuts than a Western mar- fight movie. So we haven't talked any Hawkeye here. We got three episodes to talk. Brandon about. doesn't get to talk about Hawkeye. Yeah. Brandon wanted to talk about Hawkeye and I purposely filibustered the first half of this episode because he only watched the first episode and had a strong dislike of it. It's fine, but they dropped two episodes. And to me, it's like, if we're going to sit down and talk about this, you have to at least watch the initial drop. Yeah. So they both came out at the same time. They're two halves. They're two sides of the same coin. It was the same as WandaVision, right? Like they dropped three Three. and they dropped three because they understood if we drop one, people are going to be like, what the fuck is this? And if we drop two, people are going to be like, okay, that's fucking weird. But they dropped three because you get enough clues that like things are happening. That like it gives you the idea like, okay, this is still a Marvel thing. Which episode had Maria Rambo's scene? Was that the third one? Uh, The pre-blip scene? 
That was four. It was kind of a second act thing. The big thing in three is somebody pops out of a sewer grate who clearly doesn't belong in there. And it's oh, like, like every- the weird beekeeper guy. right? Yeah. And it turned out it was just because that guy was like trying to get underground into the town and then pops into the, the uh, field before he came while he was still underground. Right. He so he changed. like he gets changed. But we don't know that in episode three. Right. So like that scene was like supposed to be heavy. Like what the fuck vibes, which is why they do the first three episodes, because they want you to like arrive at like there are things going on beyond like the sitcom thing. Right. And, like, I think Hawkeye is the same way. Like, they dropped the first two episodes intentionally because they just had to do an episode that was mostly backstory. They had to. Like, they're introducing a brand new character who's a co-lead. That takes a lot of yep. time. And you can do it through exposition or you can show the viewer. And I yeah, think they, they, basically they took gave the better her, choice. They gave her a full episode to introduce her. And they gave you a little snippet of Hawkeye at the beginning so you could say, okay, here's where he's at. Now let's introduce... We should say Clint because they're both Hawkeye, right? Well, she's... Not Hawkeye yet. I know, but she's Kate we're, get, we're getting there. She's Kate Bishop. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair. At this point, yeah, she'll become fair. Hawkeye later. And then, and then respectfully, we'll go with Kate and Clint. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then the second episode is like bringing them together. And then we got the third episode. Boy, that's where – and see, like this third episode, I started t- messaging the, our group with like, holy shit, dude. And I really dug it. But I don't I was, really I was do in that a heavy much. edit when you were setting it, so. I don't really uh, do that much unless I'm – I don't know. I have You occasionally before. run into something that you like send that or, you just, just enjoy like, the shit out. Like the last thing I remember you sending me was that cartoon of the, uh, the leaked Spider-Man 3, <laughs> which was so fucking funny. But I don't want to get off on a tangent. Um, uh, check. Check out Joel Haver on YouTube. That's all I'll say. I'll just do a quick recap because I figure you're either in or out on Hawkeye anyway. Like we see Kate Bishop. They set up that she's good at archery and like fencing and all these different things. She saw Hawkeye fighting during the Chitauri invasion. Yes. Of a first Avengers movie. She she watches that basically scene from the movie where he leaps off of a building and then fires an arrow up into the air. Grappling arrow. Yeah. Dude, which is a scene that they made, which is like if you put it side by side with the Avengers, they match up fucking perfectly. Not it's, only that, but Matt Fraction, impressive. he was hired to write this line of Hawkeye that they're basing the show off of. He was hired to write that as the Avengers was like coming out because they were like, we want to make sure to have comic lines for all of the the different characters for the Avengers. And so like Hawkeye is like a character I don't think they ever would have thought they were going to do like a series around, right? So he goes to watch the Avengers and he's like, okay, so what are they doing with Hawkeye? And he sees that scene and that's the scene that stays with him and like is the inspiration for his comic run because he's like, okay, so that guy like leaps off of buildings and, and, you know, does this grappling arrow or whatever, but it's like he's got to go home and do his laundry right like yeah. so that's that's the inspiration for his run so it's not just that that's kate bishop's interest in it it's also like matt fraction doing a nod to the fact like this was the inspiration for the whole hawkeye thing in general so nice. i, I kind of like that yeah a little bit of meta built into it but basically kate winds up going to an auction with her mom played by vera for mega she goes to kate a, is Haley seinfeld i should say she goes to a event with her mom there is a secret illegal auction happening underneath that her her future stepdad yes her mom's fiance who's probably the sword master yep 
is definitely the Swordmaster. Yeah. He's got the mustache. Although I will say, I do agree with people on the internet who have said that it is a travesty. This is one of my few critiques <laughs> with the show. Paul F. Tompkins should have been the Swordmaster. <laughs> Fucking that would have been who? so goddamn who? good. Who did you say? Paul F. Tompkins. Oh, Sorry. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Respect the Oh, o. God. Paul F. Tompkins <laughs> would have been so good in that role. He would have been so good. I never thought about it until he said that. But, yeah, you're right. He Perfect. should have been the Swordmaster. It would have been amazing. And then he could have gotten the Marvel glow up like his buddy Kumail did. He could be all buff and terrifying. <laughs> I like, why are you getting buff? Your character's not even supposed actually, to be Actually, I bet you that if they – I bet you this is what happened. I bet you that he was like uh, – I bet his wife was like, I don't want you to turn into a muscle monster. <laughs> Do you think that's what happened? Yeah, I it think that, that she Marvel likes. Didn't I offer. think she likes that her husband is is like comfy to cuddle up with on the couch to watch bad television with. I think she likes having a comfy husband to snuggle with. Okay. she doesn't want one that's all testosterone and muscles. That's fair. Okay, so <laughs> anyways, so essentially, Kate Bishop. <laughs> Moving on. I'm just gonna try and rush through the quick plots, and then we can get. She doesn't want the stuff. We really want. There's a break she, in. She, there, well. There's a break-in right as they're auctioning off the Ronin suit that Hawkeye wore She doesn't wore want people to know that she was there, so she puts the Ronin suit on during the commotion. Right. And, and that then she runs. just stirs everything up because, as you might recall from Endgame, Ronin was killing all the people from the mob, basically. Yep. Like, we saw him killing a bunch of Yakuza. We find out he was killing the mob in New York. And so they all ascend onto, onto her once she's wearing that Ronin outfit. Clint, meanwhile, goes to... Avengers the musical with this kid. Oh, man, so good. Avengers musical, so good. It's perfect in the way that, like, I listened to the song and I was, like, laughing at first. And I was like, this is too much. But, like, in the show, they, like, do the perfect amount of it. They, it's like Trash Hamilton. I've heard uh, Matt Fraction call it like he, they're referring to like Trash Hamilton stuff where it's like you're basing it off of this event and then like it's a super cheesy production and they're trying to do what Hamilton did, but they're kind of trashy to begin with. So like it doesn't work like Hamilton. Trash Hamilton, you know? Yeah. Just want to specify on that because Hamilton is amazing. This is this clearly is like supposed a to be Hamilton trash. knockoff. This is like a Spider Man into the dark thing. Like remember it's when a, it did it's that? A, it's a knockoff of. Of Spider-Man into the dark. Yeah, totally. It's worse than that. But like the, only like, reason like the hey, Hulk is quick, like a padded You like, brought up suit. Into the Dark. One of the reasons yeah. that it failed has to do with technical all the, glitches. All the actors not, who were like put in the hospital right. playing Spider-Man. Not because it was a bad show with bad songs and bad actors, but because the, there were technical glitches that injured people. Yes. All of that bad stuff you just talked about was incidental to why it got canceled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and also I think that... That, I don't know. I I've think never seen it. On another note, side note, I think that uh, Spider-Man Into the Dark is is being referenced by Only Murders in the Building because uh, Martin Short's character is like a Broadway director whose his career has failed, has gone down the drain. And one of the things is he tried to do a Broadway version of like Splash with the set <laughs> opening up to become a pool. And there is a scene where a bunch of divers are supposed to like dive one by one into the pool that is opening up before them and there was a malfunction and the pool didn't open up so like they like 10 people dived onto the stage the hard stage like head first and he was like i thought they would stop jumping but they didn't it was just like thud 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 
God. Like, they all, like, I don't think anybody dies, but they're all horribly injured. And that was like the end of his Broadway career. It's, and then when he's like re, when he's reliving it, it's really pretty amazing. Like, you got to finish that, that first really, season. I really it's do. Fantastic. I, honest to God, I was just thinking, like, I watched the first episode and I was like, this is good. And then I just got buried with other stuff. But you got to go after back. After hearing that scene, I think no, I have amazing. to revisit. Dude, Nathan Lane, man. Oh, God. So the, so the whole show is great. They're starting to film season two, which is fucking great, too. Hawkeye. <laughs> episode three is where Wait, things. I want to get back to. Uh, who cares? Before we get there, it's just just quick recap. They have he's at the play. <laughs> Nobody uh, is listening like, to this for the watching, recaps. <laughs> he's wa- he's watching Ant Man, which is just like that guy's not there. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> that was a great line. But then also like he sees Natasha, and you see like that's really fucking with him. And then also he's got his hearing aid out, which they're tipping off, off that like like he's losing his hearing now. And it was so funny later, Kate Bishop's like, how'd you lose your hearing? And they just do this clip of like like a montage of explosions, explosions around yeah. him from different movies. And he's like, hard to determine. <laughs> Could have been any one of those things or all of them combined. Anyway, Clint hooks up with Kate, Not goes to protect her. There's a, one get, great... He yeah. catches her. Yes. He doesn't like... Yeah, hooks up in the other way. Like, actually <laughs> hooks up. No, not in like, that way. Right. The like, other way. Yes. <laughs> you perv listener. Like, what are you what are you doing right now? There's one scene I do want to hit on and then totally episode three. The LARPing scene is fucking incredible because he goes in the middle of New York. They're doing this live action role playing and this guy's got the Roman suit. And so he's got to get it from him. But like if he gets tagged with the, you know, these fake swords, then he's out. And so he's just like trying to play by their rules to get it. But he's super grouchy about the whole thing. <laughs> and so they do this slow motion scene where he's going up to the guy and so it's like filmed like it's Lord of the Rings or something and somebody will come up behind him and then he'll like reach over and like tag him with the sword yeah Yeah, in slow motion and then you'll just see the guy go and just like unnaturally (laughs) fall down because nobody's an actor in this they're all just LARPing and they're doing the ching ching noises when they're like and then they eventually and the then guy's he tells like can you just let me beat you man <laughs> which i thought yeah was and he's like good. all right go ahead he like leans down he's like no it's got to be convincing so everybody's like gathered around so that they can do this whole sword fight <laughs> yeah i like how he kind of plays long he's like i'll give i'll give you what you want you know i'll play long even though he's not happy about it he still is like a nice guy in that and i heard an interview with the director who said that scene he was gonna cut he was talking to jeremy renner and he's like yeah don't worry i'm gonna cut that larp scene and he looked at him and he's like it's in there because i really wanted it in there i thought that would be really funny <laughs> and so he's like oh so then he like kept Aww, the scene. i like i like jeremy renner i have a soft spot for him you know i saw him i may have told this story on pod before but i one day i was in la and i was doing DoorDash stuff and i was living in my car and i got stopped by a bunch of people crossing their street taking their kids home from school and i saw jeremy renner picking his daughter up from school and walking her home and he just looked like a good dad in the wild you know just like attentive he was like holding her hand and he was like she was telling him something and he was listening to her and i was just like good dad and i've just had a soft spot for him ever since i don't mean to take the piss out of it but you've told the story in the podcast already and in the canon of the story he then jumped into a helicopter and went across New York <laughs> across New York yeah we were talking about like succession how they were like wasting like all this fuel using helicopters I told it that recently yeah, yeah. oh Jesus yeah, it's all good, dude. That's we're, bad podcasting. We're getting old. <laughs> I just wanted to point out, he jumped in a helicopter and wasted a lot of fuel. 
<laughs> we already decided it. It's canon. Okay. <laughs> but you can say, like, maybe there was a mob boss on there and he, like, shot him with an arrow out of the helicopter. Does that make it better? <laughs> yeah. Episode three. This is where things really kick off. Yeah. We see uh, about a third of an episode is devoted to Echo's backstory. Yeah, I think so. Um, and she's a relatively new character in the comics as well as uh, the books. She showed up in as a Daredevil villain originally. But very quickly did a heel turn. And I suspect they're going to do it in or the show. Or it is a face turn. Face turn. The Kingpin fools her into thinking that like Daredevil killed her uncle. I suspect in the show they're doing the same thing with Ronan, right? Like, yeah, she well, she straight up saw Ronan run her dad through. She saw somebody in a Ronan suit. Yeah, it. yeah. Well, and, and we so know we that need... suit. We don't know what happened with that suit from Endgame to now. Yeah. Like, so somehow it winds up in this auction. We'll so. get an episode that gives us what happened to the suit from when he put it away to now. Yeah. We'll probably get that in an episode. And we kind of got a glimpse of, of Definitely King got a Pen glimpse this, of King right? Pen. Like we definitely. heard we definitely heard Vincent D'Onofrio laughing. Her uh in the comics, her uncle is an enforcer for Kingpin. With certain henchmen of his, the Kingpin is like very hands-on, like close with these people because he's like He's good, man. He's, he's the a, kingpin in New he's York. He's the kingpin. You know, he knows what he's doing. And he knows that, like, with most of your henchmen, they can just be, when you're that as big as he is, most of your henchmen are going to be faceless. But the people that you have close to you, you got to take care of those people. You know, he understands that's, like, good business more than anything. The kingpin, I mean, he, when D'Onofrio played him, he had his sympathetic dude. moments, dude. But he, he had his sympathetic moments. Well, he, he And he plays, was also terrifying. He plays the kingpin <laughs> so well, man. So Oh, well. And part of it is the arc that they chose for the Kingpin. They wanted to make him a real character, yep. you know, not just like this two-dimensional thing. Yeah. So they do the whole thing with Vanessa. Like, yep. people who read the comics know what I'm talking about. And or if you if don't know what I'm talking Enter about, the, watch season one of Daredevil. Or watch Enter the Spider-Verse covers it as well. Yeah, I guess. A yeah, little they, bit less yeah, in-depth. They kind, of, they kind of use it as backstory a little bit. I it's mean, his not entire backstory, motivation. Like you just see it's the his start motivation. Of it. yeah. For yeah. doing what he does. It's his whole motivation. And yeah, he's obsessed with – and it makes sense because it's like you give him something so it's not just a one-dimensional just here for evil and making money and killing Spider-Man and Daredevil. <laughs> like he's got more at stake. That. Anyway, we see Echo and she's basically – she can mimic any move – in the comics. She's a little bit of an inverse daredevil yeah. where instead of being blind, she's deaf. And instead of having extra sensory perception, she has uh, what they're calling, what is it? Re photographic, like recall. mimicry, recall or something like that, where anything she sees she can copy it. She's and this is actually I think they had plans. I think they had plans to introduce this character uh, before they did Black Widow. And I think that's why the Taskmaster character is not great more fleshed out. Yeah. Is because I think they were like, we really don't want two characters that do the same yeah, once mimicry I saw, thing. Once I saw Echo, it, it made sense it, to me too. It makes so much sense why Taskmaster, they didn't want Taskmaster to overshadow Echo. And I kind of agree because I think Echo is a more interesting character. The one thing I will say, though, is like, don't put Taskmaster in Black Widow then. You know what I mean? Making it the Taskmaster protocol instead of Taskmaster is a person. Mm -hmm. Changing it in that way just 
opens up the ability for anybody to become a rival to Echo. But it also opened, But it still makes her unique. It also opened up criticism on a movie that was already going to they, get criticized. At that point, you know what but I mean? like it's not like they screwed up Taskmaster because they're incompetent. They just, no, I don't they think they're incompetent. I just think it's sure you're absolutely right that it opens them up to criticism, but the people that are doing that critiquing, I think fuck those people. I, I do agree with you. <laughs> so <laughs> I do like, agree with you. Anytime you open up, like if even calling that opening it up to criticism is you're really you're opening it up to what like stupid crybaby nitpicking. The problem, I have a personal the problem with a lot that, of this. Bleh, the problem with a lot of this my cry, character crybaby nitpicking though is that like eh. they're loud and they're a big presence on the internet Me. and they right, but they start to like shape narratives sometimes and that's what marvel does not want right now is like those people shaping narratives for them because they're trying to do something slightly different from what they've done and like you want to keep those people happy as much as possible and shut the fuck up Ugh. so that they can solidify it yeah don't try to keep them saying, happy at all i push them i don't think completely i don't away think you try and make them, them happy no, but you like, push them away you push them away as hard as you possibly can and then you laugh as you watch them to continue Continue to spend money on this shit. <laughs> and you're like, look, at, just rubs his look hands at how much money you assholes are spending on something that you hate with every fiber of your being. And then think about how pointless your existence is. <laughs> Let me ask you, what's what was your favorite scene in episode three? Oh, that's such a tough call, man. I liked so many scenes. I loved the scene where the guy's asking Kate about her advice about his relationship with the Imagine Dragons. I love Imagine Dragons. <laughs> that was so uh, great, dude. So good. I fucking loved the giant arrow coming down on the bridge. Yeah, the Pym arrow. So fucking great. That whole sequence, which was taken straight from the comics. I also like that awesome. he's, he's teaching her how to shoot in, a, in this kind of environment, right? Right? Like, and he's not doing it in, in an insulting fashion, but it's like they usually have some sort of training montage in these scenes. And instead, what they're doing is like they're having in a car and he's like, no, don't use that one. Use this one. And he's like, shoot a little bit higher. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, we've got weird specific examples. So I'm showing you this because they've already introduced in that she's a good archer. So instead of having her do this unbelievable stuff right away, they're having him show her so that people don't start screaming out Mary Sue. That's basically why they're doing it, to be honest. But I like the way that they're doing the training with this. You know yeah. what I mean? They're dropped in the situations and it has to happen. One person has to drive. So he's just like saying a couple of things while he's driving, right? Can't really hear what she's saying either because it's here like echo bus is hearing it and even tells him like you'd be better off without it right yeah <laughs> but it's interesting too because like i think that her that uh Clint and Kate's dynamic is almost better when his hearing aid is busted. <laughs> like they work better as a team. <laughs> yeah. When because he can't because listen to her. <laughs> he can't hear her and she has no choice but to just kind of do what he says. And so she's forced to listen to to focus on what he's saying more and he gets to tune out the distraction. And he <laughs> he's also forced to explain things well instead of just being grumpy and like yep. snide back to her. Like yep. it's not just a one-sided like she's doing what he wants it's also like he has to concentrate on being a better mentor as they're going and i love how he 
compliments her at the end and is like, you're a really good archer. You might be one of the best. Like that could be true. And like she's she's saying we should walk the dog and he can't hear her. And then he's like, we should walk the dog. <laughs> which is now officially named Pizza Dog. Yeah, which. I know it's lucky in the comics. That was but. a pretty cheesy moment. That was probably the cheesiest moment we've seen so far was I, the dog smiling when she says Pizza Dog. And can, just I being like, can I tell you something? Uh, eye roll, which I'm fine with. Seren, I don't mind an eye roll Seren here and there. checked out 10 minutes into the first episode and just would not pay attention, didn't didn't care like started wandering off like when watch the first two episodes amanda and christian watch it with me like we all enjoyed it sat down for episode three last week and like saran was walking by with their phone sees pizza dog and it goes what happened to his eye like all concerned and we're like eh, it's just it's just the way his eye is that dog pulled her into the episode <laughs> and now she's back on nice. with hawkeye i think she literally did not want to watch it didn't want to tell care. me she didn't want to watch it because like i'm big mcu guy right but the dog pulled her back into it thank you pizza dog yes, thank, thank you. you so much thank you pizza dog <laughs> I hate having this riff with my daughter. So (laughs) I was pretty surprised. I threw out my ranking in our group chat the other day of what I, where I'm at with the Marvel shows. And I've been, remind me, I'm so enamored with Hawkeye that it has placed very high. So my number one is Loki. Just that movie, that series is my jam. It's right in my wheelhouse. It's got everything I could ever want. I put Hawkeye at number two. I put WandaVision at number three. I put Falcon Winter Soldier at four and What If at five. So I've been thinking about this because the last time we ranked this out, I think, was after Loki. And my thoughts on it has changed a little bit. It's actually closer to where you and Brandon were at. I go Loki number one. I'm going to put WandaVision number two. And the reason why I put WandaVision at number two was I was just watching this making of. Marvel put them out for all of their shows on Disney+. And so I'm trying to like catch up with all of them and watch them. And I was watching WandaVision. And then I was just like, man, they really fucking took a swing. And I remember kind of penalizing them because like the third act wasn't super great but the more i think about it the swing they took it was really fucking good and it was amazing how riveting it was for people who i thought would immediately turn on the show because they were doing something very different yeah and even the people who turn on the show it seemed like most of them got hooked back into it so i'm gonna put that at number two bigger swing than loki but like loki was just so well made it was just so yeah. well made and so tight that like tight in a way that WandaVision was not tight. And yeah. so that's why it's number one. And number three was is, it the for first me is, is Hawkeye right now. It was the first series on that that every episode was directed by the same person, right? Loki? Yeah. Yeah. Because Falcon and Winter Soldier was directed by like three different people. And Nothing. WandaVision was like each – almost each episode was directed by a different person of WandaVision. Which right? you, you Which you wanted you almost kind want, of yeah, for that show. Because you want a different – feel for like what i would have done is i would have had the sequences that were designed to be like the sitcom show i would have had those directed by different people but i would have had all the actual like real world stuff directed by the same person so that that real world stuff would have a consistent feel across the series it's also interesting hearing them talking about 
the special effects on WandaVision because they went to talk to this person and they were almost apologetic. So like for this 50s stuff, like when we have flying pans and stuff, we want to do everything like they did. <laughs> and back the special in the... effects people were like, this is a dream come oh, fucking true. <laughs> the guy who was doing the special effects was like, guess what? I learned from the people who like pioneered that and I started out doing that and I'm super excited to, to do, do it, it again. Like, yeah, 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 it yeah. was just like, who yeah, wouldn't I never want to do this. that shit, yeah. man? It's like, that's why people get into special effects is they saw shit on stream. They saw something corny <laughs> and saw, like, realized how it was done. How much somehow, fun. Somehow the magic trick unfolded for them. Yeah. And they were like, I want more. I want to be the one that does that. Yeah. Ended on a cliffhanger with Swords Master putting Ronin's sword right up to his own chin. Pretty clever of Clint to say that Black Widow killed Ronin. <laughs> Because it's technically true in like a non-literal sort of way, in like a figurative way. When when Natasha, yeah, yeah, because she talked him, talks him out. She she like kills the idea of Ronan. But then there is a a, there's a chance that somebody else took. No, there's no way that's true. Actually, Um, wait, wait, uh, five years. There is a chance that somebody else takes puts the Ronan costume on. And hundred percent, and King Natasha King. kills him. Oh, because in the five years between them killing Thanos and then them figuring out time travel, that's all. Natasha's alive for all of that, but no, Hawkeye's no, no, not there Ronan is a, until there is, there is no chance because uh, Natasha goes to talk to Ronan to tell him they have a way to bring everybody back. Oh, right. Back. Okay, and so that's at the end. Okay, that's the later, and then. Yeah. They go to, they immediately, there's no time in between her rescuing Clint yeah, there's from, no time there's to, no time. There's no time okay. to die for Ronan. So he's, but when he says <laughs> Natasha killed Ronan, he's specifically referring to that. thing. Yeah, to that but also moment. trying to make it seem literal to the other people, yeah. But then it also, it's like, how do you go ask Natasha if she killed Ronan? Can't. Yeah. <laughs> she died on an alien planet. And, and he can also say, I was there and that's the truth. Like, it's just like, I love how convoluted of a lie that is that it's like it's like six half-truths it's almost as if he works for a government agency that deceives (laughs) (laughs) almost it's almost like he's been a spy his whole life yeah which is a big difference departure from the hawkeye character of the comic we made so many jokes about how he's gonna have you know have a reckoning with being a serial killer with his wife and stuff and then seeing she kind of knows about the stuff she's like okay like have fun dealing with those lunkheads and it's like oh yeah that's right he's been killing people his whole life this isn't something new for him he just got really dark with it like in the context of a marvel movie if i was his wife i would be like it's fine he i didn't exist during that period of time that he was doing those things so it's kind of like now that i and the only reason he did that stuff is because (laughs) i ceased to exist so now that i don't now that i exist again he has no reason to be that person and also always been somebody who murdered people with arrows so whatever you know what's the biggest uh hawkeye though has also had the biggest mandela effect of the entire franchise of the mcu for me because i could have fucking sworn that he had two girls and one boy i could have fucking sworn two girls one boy but it has been two boys one girl the whole time honest to god the only one that i really ever took note of was the daughter yeah because she had all the lines it's two things one is that she turns to ash and it's sad like at the beginning of the of the movie right like they set it up with that with her going to with ash. the whole his whole family yeah but they show her because right Do they be- show her 
Yeah, because right, they actually, right before that, he's like he's with aiming her. An, yeah, and he's like aiming an arrow with her. And that was the other reason was I was like, oh, that's Kate. Like, for some reason, I just thought she was going to be the future. Ho- like, I thought they were setting it that up. It felt like they were setting it up a little bit because yeah, he's they, showing her, they but they're not. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that's not who Kate Or maybe Bishop they is were anyways. setting it up and then Kevin Feige changed his mind. And he's like, no, let's do Kate Bishop proper. Yeah. It does make sense a father's show his daughter how to shoot an arrow, you know. When he's the arrow guy. Yeah. Yeah. It does make sense. But anyway, I've really enjoyed this show. Yeah. I, I think I've it's really enjoyed the show. And it has it has the ability to become the number one for me for sure. Right now it's sitting at number three, but we're only halfway through. So I look forward to talking to you next week about this. Yeah. And I look forward to continuing to ban Brandon from talking about this show on the <laughs> he's, podcast. He's welcome to do it once he watches all the episodes that he's current. Once until he's then, caught up. Yeah. Until then, he's banned. I want, I also, <laughs> I'm going to, I need to know that I want your phone off, Brandon, while you're watching the show. No distractions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, send your child from the house yeah, so that I you want, can focus. I want set your phone up recording you so that you have video proof that you were not interrupted in any way during Wait, your... isn't that him using his phone though? No, because well? he sets it up and then he ignores it. <laughs> okay. It's doing all the work. It's doing the filming But isn't work. there that observation that like if you're being observed, your behavior will always change because you're being observed? Uh, like, well, that's like a philosophical question. It's not like a law of nature. If we're being honest, if we want a normal Brandon review, I think he's got to have his phone in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a normal one. I want, I want above and beyond from for for this show. Because he's called it a season five episode of Arrow. What do you want to bet he does the things you say, but he watches it on one and a half speed or something? (laughs) 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 All right, take it easy. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Follow us on Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs, Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs, or email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.